Bibles. Go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. As we continue our series in the life of David, we are now in David's years as he's reigning as king after he has fallen greatly into sin. And he is now reaping of the consequences of the sin which he sowed. For the last two weeks, we studied how David had his sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba, a woman who was married to someone else. And she became pregnant. So he ended up murdering Uriah to cover his sin. And for all of this, God punished him. He chastened him greatly. David ended up losing his firstborn son. And not only that, but God promised to David that violence would never leave his house. He promised to David that his wives would be taken from him that this uh, shame would be made public to all. So David now, after he sinned greatly, he repented and God forgave him. And that's the wonderful thing about the study of the life of David is we see in David's life much forgiveness that he was still used greatly of the Lord that God still had a plan in David's life after he messed up, that God still desired to use him and that there would still be blessings to come in the future. For David would be the forefather of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But that didn't take away from the consequences that were going to read about that happened in David's life. We begin our study tonight. We're going to be going through quite a few chapters, actually, more than I'm used to. And we're going to go over these accounts that detail the drama that took place in David's life because of his own sin. We begin with the story of Amnon and Tamar. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, out of the New King James Version, it reads this. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar, he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man. You see, before we continue we have these characters that are now entering into our account. Amnon, 
Jonadab, his friend, and Tamar. Now, Jonadab, his so-called friend, is quite crafty and wicked and evil. And you're going to see how the reality of his friendship with Absalom is actually to Absalom's own downfall. It's hard to call someone a friend when they encourage you to do those things which are evil, which are harmful to you. You see, a friend, a true friend, would really love you and would want to bring you closer to the Lord. Continuing on in verse 4, Jonadab said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So now this plot, this twisted plot that Jonadab has put into Absalom's heart, I'm sorry, Amnon's heart of wickedness, of incest. In verse 6, Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Now, as David sent his daughter to Amnon, I am wondering if there were any signs that something was afoot, that something was ill about Amnon. Were there any warnings to David before he sent his daughter to Amnon? Why didn't David notice that Amnon was losing weight, that he was becoming thin and he was sick? I'm not sure. But we do see that Tamar goes in obedience to her father and begins to make these cakes for her brother. And in verse 9, And she took the pan and placed them out before him. But he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat the cake from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, brought to her brother in the bedroom. 
Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. So we have here this great sin. It's, to me, uh, sometimes when I read the word of God, when I come across these accounts, my heart, it, it does get heavy and troubled. And I'm like wondering, man, God, why would you allow that? And the questions, they begin to fill my head of what's going on in this world of evil, of wickedness. And then I remember that man has free will, that God, he created sex as a, as a beautiful thing in marriage. But then because man has free will and women have free will, they've taken that beautiful thing and the enemy too, Satan, and used it for something that's wicked. As we've witnessed, Amnon now indulging in his complete lust and selfishness. And the sad thing is that Amnon was supposedly in love with this woman, with his half-sister. But as we see here, this love, it, it wasn't real love. It was lust. A lot of times in society today, we, we confuse the two. A lot of times in, in relationships that you see nowadays, people talk about making love, but it's not really making love. They're talking about indulging in lust. They're talking about getting their biological needs met. You see, sometimes men and women, they go out looking for just those needs to be met. They're not really looking for a companionship. They're not really looking for love, but they're simply looking to have those biological needs met in a way that's ungodly. And our world is now giving thumbs up to all of it, saying it's good, but it's not. And what men and women do when they do that is they fill their life with just a growth of lust that is not based on love. You see, God made the marriage relationship to have intimacy in an amazing and beautiful way. But when you take that out of its context and put it outside of the marriage, it becomes harmful to the human being. It's like imagine that you have a rose garden and you have this 
soil out there, the fertilizer, you plant the seeds in the rose garden. And then the seeds have these roses come up and they're beautiful in their place. But if you were to take that fertilizer with a shovel, dig some of it up, and then take it into the living room, and then throw it on the carpet floor in the living room, that would be a pretty disgusting and sad sight for any guests who walk into your living room to see the dirt there on the floor. Why? Because the fertilizer and the dirt, it doesn't belong in the living room floor. It belongs in the garden. And that's what the Lord made intimacy for, was for marriage and for it to be enjoyed by a man and his wife. Now, as Amnon has forced himself, has raped Tamar. In verse 15, it says, Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, Indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. So in these verses, we see that Amnon, once he got his fix, he just tossed his half-sister Tamar out into the streets. Tamar pleaded with him saying, look, The king, he would even let you marry me if you simply ask him, being that they were half-siblings. But a lot of times, and this is something that that we see in, in our world today, is that relationships, and this wasn't a relationship, but Amnon just wanted to take, he was very selfish. I'm reminded there's a lesson that I've just seen growing up and that a lot of times men will say that they love a woman in order to get their fix. And women many times will often give themselves away in intimacy so that they can get what they think is love. So maybe you're listening out there right now and there's someone who's tempting you, who's trying to draw you in, whether it be a male or a female, 
they don't really love you if they're asking you to sin against God to be with them. So men and women, we need to be strong. Strong in the Lord to know that you're worth so much more than somebody's fix. And you're worth so much more in Jesus' eyes. You're precious in his sight and he loves you. And if you've fallen in this, this trap of the enemy, if you've fallen into lust, even into pornography or any type of sexual addiction, know that God is powerful to free you from those bonds, from that shame, and that he's always forgiving and his grace is abundant. That he wants you to be so close to him and he has a plan for your life. That he, when you enter into his family as his child, he makes you pure and white as snow. You see, as men, we're called to present our wives to Jesus, to God, spotless. We're supposed to pour the word of God upon the women. The same way that Jesus Christ died for the church, he gave himself for the church. It's the same way that men are called to die to themselves for their women, for their wife. Now, Tamar, she's now mourning the loss of her innocence, of her virginity. She, she had this beautiful robe and it was worn by these virgins. And now she put mourning ashes on her head as a sign of this loss, this great loss. And so her brother Absalom takes her in and he finds out that Amnon, his half-brother, raped her. He says, listen, Tamar, stay in my house. I'm going to keep you safe. So in verse 21, but when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now let's pause for a moment. Two years have gone by. It said that Absalom never spoke good or bad to his brother Amnon, who raped his sister. And King David, he heard all these things and he was very angry, but there is no mention of King David taking responsibility and punishing his son Amnon. You see, this is one of the flaws of David. David, he failed in chastising his own children. For whatever reason it was, he failed in it. Perhaps he 
saw this wicked thing that his son Amnon did and he didn't want to believe it. Perhaps he himself, knowing of his own failures in his life, he realized that, you know what, how can I punish my son for doing something so wicked when I've done worse? But he should have taken that responsibility. He should have acted. Later on, his son Solomon will go on to write all about taking care of your children and rebuking them and chastising them. Solomon would go to write in the Psalms that if, and the Proverbs that if you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child. You see, Solomon would grow up in this family with all this drama going around, and he would realize that, man, my, my father is not punishing my brothers for their wrongdoings. So two full years go by, and they begin to have this uh, gathering of sheep shearers. And Absalom, he invites all the king's sons, and then in verse 24, then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. So now Amnon, Absalom, he's inviting all the king's sons and he's telling his, even his father to go. But because they lived in Gesher or near Gesher, the king was like, no, you guys go ahead. I, I'm not going to go. And you see Absalom is constantly nagging his father, let my brother Amnon go. Bring, send him. Send my brother Amnon. And King David even asked, why, would I, why should I send Amnon? Why should he go? And I'm wondering if David maybe sensed that something bad was going on because he starts questioning if Absalom's intent was pure. Now in verse 28, now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each one got on his mule and fled. Ah, now the plot thickens. Absalom, he invites his brother Amnon, gets him drunk, and he tells his servants, hey, once uh, Amnon is drunk and carried away, you guys go over there and you kill him. They assassinated him. They conspired against him because their hatred had grown for two years for what he did to their sister. And once this happened, all the sons of David, they began to flee. And in verse 30, and it came to pass while they were on the way, that news came to David saying, 
the way Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. I find it ironic that Jonadab is the one here trying to console David after he was the one who was originally ushering Amnon to rape Tamar. In verse 34, Then Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked. And there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it is. So it was, as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. This is tragic. You see, now the curse that God had placed in David's life as a punishment for adultery and murder is now being lived out through his children. Tamar was raped by Amnon, so Absalom murders Amnon. And the word of God does not fail. This is happening now to King David, this man, a man after God's own heart who had everything going for him, is now seeing this in his family. And you think, wow, what, what is he to do now? Can it get any worse? Well, let's keep reading. Something to note, though, of, concerning Absalom. It says that he went to Gesher. Now, Gesher, this would be his grandfather from his mom's side. See, so he had to flee away from his own dad. And his father mourned the loss of Amnon. Now in chapter 14, verse 1, So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. 
Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. See, Joab was David's commander. And him seeing now the distress going on in David's life, decides to intervene because he does long to see David coming back from this season of great depression. So he sets this woman up to give King David a hidden parable. We'll read about this in verse 4. It says in verse 4, And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field. And there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant. And they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. So this woman presents herself to David in mourning. She's a widow, she says, supposedly. And she says that, look, my two sons were in this field and one of them, they began to fight and one of them killed the other. So I lost my son. And now the only son that I have left, all the family wants to take him and to kill him also. And then I will have no one. And she's pleading before this king, King David. And in verse eight, then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and on the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, whoever says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall not touch you anymore. Then he said, please let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Therefore the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my Lord the king. So pause for a moment. This woman now is begging basically for King David to intervene. She's saying, please, if anyone tries to kill my son, just make a decree that they cannot kill him. And he says, look, if anybody wants to kill your son, send them to me and I'll tell them that they cannot. And now she has one more question that she would like to be answered from this king. In verse 12 again, she says, please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, say on. So the woman said, why then? Have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? 
For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now therefore I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. So this woman now, she's pulling a Nathan, I'll say. Remember Nathan the prophet came to David and he gave David this parable of the rich man and the poor man and the rich man stole the poor man's sheep and he killed that sheep to feed a feast. And when David got very upset and said, this man deserves to die, Nathan turned it around on him and said, you are that man. And in the same way, this woman of Tekoa is doing the exact same thing where she gives this account that's not necessarily true, this parable, to bring to light an illustration of something that's going on even in David's life. And one thing that I do know that she said, being that she is a wise woman, if you look at verse 14, it says, For we will surely die and become like water, spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. To me, as I see that, there is wisdom in that. That this is the only life that we have. And when it's gone, you can't relive it. We have one life, it's soon going to be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. So as she says these things, she's revealing to David's own heart, his own problems with his son Absalom. Because remember, Absalom has been estranged from him. She's saying, look, you'll have forgiveness on this murderer who killed his brother, but you won't have forgiveness on your own son. Now in verse 17, your maidservant said, the word of my Lord, the king will now be comforting for as the angel of God, so is my Lord the king in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord, your God, be with you. So notice that this woman now, she does recognize King David. She says that he's an angel of God. And one thing to note is that David was God's anointed. And one of the lessons in David's life was to never go against the Lord's anointed. In verse 18, then the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, please let my Lord the king speak. So the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? 
And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing, but my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God to know everything that is in the earth. See, David sensed where this came from. He was like, you know what? I feel like this is Joab's work. Now in verse 21, and the king said to Joab, all right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now perhaps here, this wasn't a full forgiveness of, on David's part. You see, he allowed Absalom to return to the kingdom, but he would have no relationship with his son. He said, no, you could let him come back, but I don't want to see his face. And maybe that's how we are in our lives. Maybe we hold on to grudges and bitterness. Now, I'm not saying that King David should have at that point told Absalom to start hanging out with all the rest of his brothers and just give him complete trust and thinking that he's going to be good. No. But to allow forgiveness to still be there, a true forgiveness, to make room for repentance where David wouldn't hold bitterness. That's what we need to do in our lives is to be able to let go of those things which hold on to us so tightly that we think that the grudge that we're holding, that it's actually harming the other person, but it's actually harming us. Those people, they sleep good at night and we're bitter over, but we're the one who gets harmed by our the own bitterness that we have in our hearts. The forgiveness, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you allow God to forgive you and then when you forgive others. So look at now, though. David will forgive Absalom in verse 25. Now in all Israel, there was no one who praised, who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the, very, at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. Now that's somewhere near five pounds of hair right there. So Absalom was this attractive, good-looking prince with this huge head of hair. Now this head of hair, it'll play quite a, a role later on in the account of Absalom's life. Look at verse 27. To Absalom were born three sons, 
and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send to you, you to the king, to say, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me not to be there still. To be there still. Now therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him excuse me. So Joab, execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. So Absalom was not getting his attention made known to King David. And he sought through the commander Joab to get this presence before his father. But Joab wouldn't pay him any attention. So what did Absalom do? He burned down Joab's fields. You see, what I see here, to me, almost parallels some of the things that are happening in our society right now. When there's failure, none of this is right. None of this is all wickedness, what we're reading right now. Failure on David's part. Failure on Absalom's part in his seeking revenge and burning Joab's field. And we see this dismantling of humanity. We see what happens when men don't fear the Lord. We see what happens when men are not guided by the Holy Spirit in their actions. And the Bible records all these things so that we could learn of them. So that we could learn of ourselves, of our own sinful condition. Continuing on in chapter 15. After David now has finally agreed to meet Absalom and kissed Absalom and forgiven him. It says, after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate so it was when anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has 
any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. To me here, Absalom is playing the cricket politician. Where he's saying, look, oh, if I were king, if I were judge, then I would be able to take care of you. It's too bad that the king is so busy that he can't take care of your needs. But you see, if I were judge, I would make things right in your life. And by doing so, Absalom is stealing the hearts of the people. In verse 5, And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So we see here Absalom now, he's probably taking in people's babies and kissing them on the forehead and saying, oh, you know, I love you guys. And he's stealing all the hearts of the people and they're falling for it. In verse seven, now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelled at Geshur in Syria saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem And they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. So see here now, Absalom goes to Hebron, gathers these, these men after him, even convinces one of David's counselors, Ahithophel, to come with him, and he makes himself king. And it says that the conspiracy grows strong. Now in verse 13, now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom, So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. You see, now David realizing what is happening, what is taking place with Absalom, gathering all these men to him who are now going to attack Jerusalem. He tells, David tells his own servants, look, gather everyone, we have to leave. We have to leave, leave speedily. 
lest this great war start here in Jerusalem. And in verse 15, And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him and all the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and the Gittites. 600 men who followed him from Gath passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. So we see here now David is fleeing from Jerusalem quickly, speedily, and he sees this man Ittai, a foreigner, and he tells him, look, you don't need to come with us. You're just a foreigner. Why would I make you be burdened by fleeing with us into the wilderness? Why don't you just stay here? But look at Ittai's response, verse 22, or sorry, 21. But Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, Surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. Something I I do love about Ittai is his loyalty to David. He's saying, look, King David, I'm going to follow you wherever you go whatever trials might come your way. He's being a faithful servant here. And in verse 23, and all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was also Zadok also, And all the Levites were with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Now, one thing that I do see here as David is fleeing, fleeing for his life, there's an attack against him. I can't help but think, if David was promised to be the forefather of the Messiah, could this be a demonic plot against him to stop the Messiah from coming? Could this demonic plot have inspired such things as Absalom committing treason? We often see in the book of Revelation this illustration of the dragon seeking to devour the woman and her child, the child being the Messiah. And it's this picture. You see, Satan was always trying to attack the Messiah. But remember, right in the beginning of the Bible, that God said to Adam and Eve, 
He said to Eve, look, you're going to have a child who's going to be a savior to the world. And one is going to rise up against him, this serpent. And the serpent is going to bite his heel. But the Messiah would crush the serpent's head. Because we know that God has the victory, the ultimate victory. It's in God's hands. And God is going to give David that victory in his life. In verse 25, Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. So, see, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. One thing to note is David's trusting in the Lord here. He didn't seek to keep the ark of God with him as he left Jerusalem. But he said, you know what? Leave the ark where it's supposed to be, here in its home in Jerusalem. For if God wants me to return here, then he's going to get me to return here. David's submitting now to the will of God. Perhaps he's realizing that these consequences, they're from his own sin. So he's accepting whatever God's perfect will is for him and trusting and hoping that God will return him there in forgiveness and in mercy. In verse 29, Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and wept as far as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously. So I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell Zadok and Abiathar 
the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them, you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So we see here now a full treason against David. In David's wisdom, he collected some of these priests, Abiathar, Ahimaaz, and he sent them back. And Zadok, he sent them back to Jerusalem to be almost as double agents there. He said, look, go back and be there with Absalom. I want you guys to inform me what's going on in the city of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to play the part as if they're loyal to Absalom, but they're still loyal to King David. So David is using these strategies now. Because remember, David was taught to be a warrior. David was taught the strategies of war. And now David is being forced out of his own kingdom, the kingdom that God had blessed him with. And we see this tragic event happen now in David's life. This man who had everything, wives, children, a great palace, the temple of the Lord promised to his son to be built, and he failed. And because of his failures, now all of these troubles are coming upon him. But know this, One of the major themes of David's life is that wherever he went, God was with him, that God had anointed him, and God's not done with him. We're leaving off this account kind of in in a moment of we're we're headed towards the cliff and what's going to happen. I think that's good. I think you guys should read ahead and continue to see what's going to take place in David's life. And then when we come back, we'll have a, a full picture what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us through this life of David. See, David is still a man after God's own heart, as we should be. Even though we fail, even though there's consequences now in our lives, I pray that we would still be men and women after God's own heart. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. I pray and I ask, Lord, that you would go before us, Father. I pray, Father, for those who are in a season, Father, of wilderness, who are not sure, Lord, what's going to come. I pray, Father, that you would remind them Father, that you are with them, that you never leave them, you never forsake them. And bring out your word, Father. May it bring water into dry lands. May it bring joy when there's no peace, Father. May it bring hope, Father, when there's no light. And I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would go before us in our decisions, be with our families. And all the drama that we experience, I pray, Father, that you would go before us Have your Holy Spirit bring unity 
even amongst our enemies. We love you, Father. We praise you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's end with this last song. turned into wine open the eyes of the blind there's no one like you none like you our God is greater our God is stronger God you are higher than any other our God is healer Awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer, awesome in power Our God, our God Our God is greater, our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer, awesome in power Our God our God. Be blessed this week. We'll see you on uh, Friday night, men. Women, there's not going to be a Friday night study. And uh, if we won't see you on Friday, then we'll see you Sunday morning. 